You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Ellie Fox and I help connect digital leaders in the NHS with interim talent and today I am your host. So I really appreciate you all joining me today. Hope you all find value from this event. I know that our listeners will um, on your thoughts and opinions and perspectives on data in the NHS. Um, as you know, I'm Ellie. I work on NHS Digital Evil here at Evolution. Um, what we do primarily is supply interim digital talent in the NHS and we're an accredited framework supplier. Um, so I'm just going to tell you a little bit more about our like vision and purpose here at Evolution um, and then I'll kind of leave it to you to have your conversation amongst yourselves. Um, so our purpose here on the NHS team is to make sure that we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. That's our overall goal. Um, we split this into three ways and hopefully the events that we put on will show this to you. Um, so our goal is to develop deeper, meaningful relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business better. The what is collaborating with NHS organisations, helping them to build high-performing digital teams, and how we do that through creating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industry best practice. Um, so you've all sent over some excellent questions, and I'm really excited to get everyone's opinions on these. Um, so what I'll do, I'll pose the question. Um, I'm going to ask the person who asked that question to elaborate on their question. And then I'll ask each person to kind of give a bit of an opinion. And um, while we are talking, if you've got something to say and someone else is talking, if you have a look at the top of the screen, um, there's like a kind of smiley face and a hand face. Um, if you just put your, if you raise hand, that'll come through to me and then I'll come to you as the next person. Uh, but I will ask everyone for an opinion on each question. Um, so if we could start with introductions, first of all, um, Mark, you're the top left. So if we could go with you, if you can just introduce yourself, tell everyone about your position, please. Sure. So uh, my name is Mark Lando. I'm the Director of Business Intelligence at West Hearts Hospital Trust. Um, I've been here about six months now. Prior to that, I worked at Bart's Health looking after the uh, Central Business Intelligence team there. That's where uh, Deepa and I met. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you. And then if we can go see you, Deepa. Hello, my name is Deepa Tambe. I'm Head of Reporting Technology at BARTS. I joined BARTS in 2019, November, so just about over 18 months. Um, and I'm coming from commercial, uh, you know, financial sector. So very different for me. Thank you, Deepa. Anara, if you could introduce yourself, please. Um, hi, so I'm Inara Khan. I'm Head of Delivery in the Innovation Team at NHSX. Um, I oversee a whole host of digital pathway work um, and I've worked in the national capacity with NHS England and NHS Improvement for the past five years. Perfect, thank you very much. And then last but not least, Sampath. Hi, I'm Sampath Gamvis. I'm Head of BI Strategy and Development. I start uh, ENHT uh, about two years ago, and I just want to say, Mark and Deepa, I've uh, started my career at Bards in 1999. The couple <laughs> circle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I was, I, I was in the information team as well. Are yeah. you still based in um, Prescott Street, Deepa? 
Fortunately, we've moved out of that building and we are now at Canary Wharf. Um, it's oh, a nice shiny building. And, oh, even, like, even better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with enough words, as they say. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Anira first. Um, you asked two questions. Uh, so we can go with the first one, which was, how do we ensure patients are empowered by using data to manage their health care? So if you could just elaborate a bit on that for me. Um, yeah, so, you know, one of the things that we're really focused on at NHSX is um, how can data be used to drive more citizen engagement and involvement in care? Um, so it's it's great if, you know, patients are using apps or they, you know, they're getting to see some of their own health data, but actually how are they using that, for example, with diabetes to, to take more responsibility um, for, their, for their own care going forward? Um, so there's there's so much potential um, in this space, but really really interested to hear the rest of the panel's views um, on that. Yeah, Fab. Should we start with you, Deepa? Oh, Mark wants to speak. If you want to go, Mark. Well, I, I just thought it was quite interesting that you mentioned diabetes. To be honest, I was diagnosed as type two diabetic last uh, September. Um, and had quite a good kind of digital experience with it, to be honest. So I found that the the support offered through the the GP was quite quite traditional, um, and traditional not always the best of things. Um, so I went off and did a whole load of research on various different forums and things on the internet about what I should be doing. Um, but I was also offered um, a a kind of support system which was delivered through an app so I had a I had a mentor and coach that I could contact about what I was eating or um, when my blood sugar was spiking and and things like that and and for somebody that comes from kind of a, uh, a kind of tech savvy point of view that interaction through an app was great because I could I could be pinging a message to my um, uh, to buy to my coach um, in the evening when I'm sitting watching TV or, or whatever and I didn't have to stick to a kind of rigid telephone appointment and that kind of system worked really well for me. Um, so I think giving people that ability to manage their own healthcare in a way and put in what they want to in order to get the results that, that they want out of it is is really quite empowering and, and I guess there are people out there for whom that that approach wouldn't necessarily work. Um, so my I, I use my mother as an example. She's 74 years old and, and quite often is asked to, to log on to a website to book an appointment or to have a, uh, a telephone call with her GP, which doesn't work for somebody of her age as well because she's she's barely deaf and, and telephone appointments won't work. She's not going to be able to manage a, a kind of video teleconference. She She's the kind of person that would still go into a bank face-to-face -face and not do online banking, etc. So you need to have kind of a, a broad range of approaches that will work for a variety of people. Um, and I think the the generation coming up behind us will be, they'll expect even more kind of digital engagement. They'll, they'll want to do everything through their phones. They're almost kind of permanently attached to them. Um, so we need to kind of progress things along different um, work streams that will work for different people. Thank you, Mark. Deepa, you've got your hand up. Yeah, um, uh, Mark, you, you know, you really said it. Um, 
I don't have my, you know personal um, experience on that, but a very close friend of mine, she she actually went through exactly the same mark what you explained. You know, she was diagnosed with diabetes too, and um, she had an app and she could talk to um, the mentor, and her blood sugar was monitored every day, and uh, she is now managing without any medication. And so that's very encouraging, you know, like digital technology is really helping people to take charge of their health. Um, a similar example, I should say, uh, something which has been rolled out probably at other GP sites as well. But for my GP sites, now I can order any prescription. I can book an appointment through my phone, through the app, um, which is really, really good. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a step forward from where we were two years back. Um, and I think uh, with, with the pandemic, um, all the appointments are being managed on the phone and video calls, which is also encouraging uh, to see that the digital technology is being used to manage the healthcare. Um, and what I've heard from my GP is they are able to manage more appointments in a day because it's more you know, through the video calls um, and phone calls. So um, I think we are moving in the right direction, but there's there's lot to be done, um, and uh, yeah, different different approaches needed for different uh, age segment, um, and probably slowly in the next five years we'll have to we'll have to really ramp up on on the digital uh, approach. Thank you, Sampa. Do you have any thoughts to that? Yeah, so I think, um, uh, like Mark and Deepa explained, uh, the digital platforms are uh, very uh, innovative, useful, and it would be um, widely available. Um, and as long as we provide interesting uh, information, so in my point of view, like um, Deepa mentions, uh, I don't have any personal uh, experience, but we need to think about two uh, types of uh, people who are tech savvy, digital savvy, who are, who has a smartphone and at the same time we are, uh, we would find there are certain uh, parts of the communities probably uh, wouldn't have that uh, luxury, probably uh, get into the digital or even um, uh, simply uh, won't able to operate uh, a, a digital um, tool. So I think we need to think about, uh, it's twofold, the um, information should be interesting uh, and it would be useful um, at, as, as you guys explained um, but how about the prevention um, so if there is a there is a um, uh, way of uh, preventing these kind of uh, communal uh, issues uh, not just diabetes it can be heart diseases strokes uh, respiratory all those ones uh, how can we get these pe uh, people engaged to, on prevention uh, side of it? Um, that that would be something we all need to think about. And the people who don't have access uh, or won't be able to have access, like uh, children or uh, vulnerable groups in the community, uh, what other helplines that we can uh, uh, enable them, like? personal chats and uh, phone calls, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my view on that. Excellent, thank you very much. And then if we go to the second question, um, which was what conversations do we need to have with suppliers and innovators to ensure that the data they collect is shared with the NHS and also supports 
big agendas like sustainability and equality. If you could elaborate on that, please, Anara. Yeah, so I think it, it touches on some of the points that the panel have already made. So um, when we think about um, any organisations that we work with in the NHS and if they're collecting data on our behalf or, or um, for us in any way, um, obviously there's, a, there's certain responsibilities around that, but there are growing responsibilities around the digital inclusion agenda that, that Mark and, and others have, have touched upon. So in those relationships, how do we ensure that um, that data is being used to, to improve things like digital inclusion? And, you know, with um, the commitment of the NHS to be net zero um, in, by, in the next few years um, and the big uh, green agenda, how do we ensure that um, that there is a sustainability element to, to data? You know, data, although, you know, we've talked about video consultations and, and, and other elements, um, you know, data has to be stored somewhere. That's that's still a requirement. So I suppose I was just thinking in, in the broadest sense as a, as a social enterprise, i.e. the NHS has social responsibilities as well. Um, yeah, where, where do we fall in our relationships? Thank you. Uh, Sam has put his hand up first and then we'll go to Mark. <clears throat> it, is a, it is a very valid point and I think uh, in acute settings um, we are having these same uh, issues like uh, we are using about uh, as far as I know about 30 uh, different systems and uh, supply we need to engage with supplies. One of the key uh, challenges that we have the how do we share this information because it's our data we own it and how can we uh, easily access those information uh, it's not I don't think any supplier is refusing um, uh, this is my opinion refusing to get that uh, information shared but um, this would probably uh, make it more difficult for us to uh, share, share that information. So something I am pushing that because I'm, 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 I've joined this trust as a um, uh, BBI lead and the, um, uh, the planning, uh, etc. So um, what I'm proposing is uh, with our uh, digital team, if we were to procure any new uh, systems, we need to make sure there is some conversation with the suppliers that we will have full access, not because they are our data, we will have full access to this data um, as and when needed. So even when we're putting contracts in place, we need to make sure that um, um, if they can't provide uh, at this stage, because sometimes due to financial pressures or the deadlines, we may have to proceed with some projects, but we need to make sure that information will be an available. And if it is not those APIs or uh, secure file transfer protocols, that kind of things being uh, enabled to us uh, in the future. Uh, because currently we are having huge conversations, very difficult conversations with our suppliers if we were to start uh, share information and uh, produce uh, useful information to our XX team. Excellent. And Mark, if we can go to you now. Yeah, I, I guess building on what Sampath has just um, talked about, we, we're, um, we're devils in the NHS for procuring systems without looking at how they um, can operate and, and provide interoperability with other systems within within our estate. So um, 
we very rarely have a, a patient record system that will talk to our um, staffing system, that will talk to our e-rostering system. Um, there are they're quite often standalone systems, and if you want to um, get extracts from one and, and join them together, even in a data warehouse kind of environment, sometimes pulling data from the systems can be extremely difficult, um, if, if possible at all. Um, so I, I think it's working with suppliers to, to talk through why it is that we want to be able to extract data and not just pull off the reporting tools that they might have built into the front end of their system. We need we need a kind of joined up system that will tell us what resources we need, where and when. Um, and that, that requires um, data that's easily accessible and, and pliable and we can put it in, in various different formats. And so that, that's really key. And then from, from another point of view, when talking about kind of sustainability, et cetera, most NHS trusts I've worked at, all our servers are on site, they're all on premise. Um, we haven't kind of gone down the route of moving to the cloud for, for a lot of things yet. Um, so we've got server rooms in, um, in sites all across the country um, that are sitting there on a kind of aging infrastructure that could well burst into flames or fall over at any point. Um, so we need to think a little bit smarter about how we allocate our resources and what, what is the most sustainable way of moving forwards and try and get ahead of the game. Um, I think we're always chasing the game within the NHS. Um, so let's try and get ahead where we can um, and and bring ourselves into the into the 21st century. Um, I, sometimes, I talk to um, friends and family in the private sector and I say sometimes we're probably 10 years behind the private sector in terms of our um, in terms of our digital kind of footprint. We um, we take so long to make a decision because there's so many stakeholders involved that it just puts us behind the eight ball. Um, one of the things that the pandemic has done from a positive point of view is given us the ability to be quite agile and put in place solutions really quickly. Um, and I'd really like to see that kind of um, agility um, transfer forward once the pandemic has, has gone. Um, it will make us a much uh, better, much more effective um, I'm going to say organisation because I think the NHS as a whole needs to work better together. Yeah, I think everyone seems to agree with that, Mark. There was a lot of people like nodding their heads there. Have you got anything to add to that, Deepak? I know you've come yeah, from the haven't you? Yes, absolutely. Um, actually, that's exactly what I wanted to add that in the commercial sector, um, uh, you know, if you want to add a new system, what you would ideally have is an architecture. Uh, which would have like a, a systems, applications and data architecture. So you would know exactly which systems can talk and integrate together, which applications will not talk and how will you integrate different applications, which platform is needed, what operating systems are needed um, and you know what data is held in which system, how do you unify it? How do you bring in a new system? How do you retire or decommission the old systems? And each system and each application has a shelf life. Uh, but you know that that that's a lot of things which uh, probably NHS never had, like you know the architecture, because that's that's seen more like an investment. It doesn't give an immediate return, whereas the commercial sector can invest in such um, a, such um, 
you know, such, uh, skills or tools. Um, and so we have always been in firefighting or chasing mode, Mark, as you said. But that, that there is, uh, I think it's, and the systems and applications have evolved over time. So that means we have more aging applications, more aging systems, and there needs to be a life, you know, and we need to look at decommissioning as well, which we are not doing. So th there are a lot of things and background to it, which I think needs a complete revamp in terms of, you know, the strategy, the architecture to look at what what do we want to build in future, and there needs to be also some um, so, sort of uh, like you mentioned about cloud. Yeah, some of the trusts are trying to move to cloud, but you know it's it's again very slow. Probably by the time we will move, it'll be something else which you know the, the entire world has moved to. Uh, so there needs to be some more agility and all the trusts, I think uh, maybe can be a driven agenda from NHS Digital. I don't know what the solution can be, but it needs to be um, an united um, sort of strategy and decision um, uh, for this. Excellent. And Sampath, you've got something to add? Yeah, I just want to add um, two things. The, the the first thing is, I think we need to, uh, as organisations, when we um, uh, procure uh, systems, we need to change um, the culture of um, the, the process. I mean, um, at the beginning, like always, uh, if it is a clinical systems or the EPI or, or any any any, any uh, patient administration systems, it gets signed off by um, clinicians, operational staff. We okay, this is this is work for them, but it's never had any input um, or any advice being seeked from the. Um, information departments or the BI leads to say, okay, um, how does that work for you? Because the as soon as the project goes live, the the information is going to be the next priority. That's going to kicks in, and once that happens, then it's kind of like dump on information professionals and saying you go and deal with this how somehow. Um, so so then we kind of like run like a headless chicken. So how are we going to produce now some uh, vital or good information to organizations so the uh, the executive teams or the operational managers can make right decisions. So I think I've slightly uh, um, engaging with our digital team, like I said before, to make sure that as well as they get the clinical sign off, they get the uh, operational sign off. You need to get the BI sign off as well, whether it is fit for purpose and what, it, what is your purpose? Are we going to, is that going to be purely a, a clinical system or are you expecting any some sort of a, um, intelligence out of these systems? In that case, then how can we help? Do we have the right structure in place to um, uh, get uh, data for to, to cater their needs? So the second thing is about uh, uh, the good example is now we all probably working with the I ICS settings and um, just try to share information with the, the, the there has to be some policy changes. Um, we were trying to share data to know Mark in West Hertfordshire is part of it, but certainly we are working with the uh, Hertfordshire Community Trust to share some information. But the information governance has been a brick wall for us. Um, we are talking about uh, getting uh, hospitals together, uh, creating integrated integrated uh, care plans and the patient records, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we are 
um, not allowed to share any patient level information other than for direct care. So, uh, and it is a policy decision. So the these policies, when they put together, again, like I said, the, the, the BI and the information is always given the last, uh, the data is always given the last focus. So that probably need to change. Um, I know there is a white paper uh, that uh, would be going to the parliament for discussions and get approved. Even within that white paper, so far I haven't seen any um, uh, the the data security as well as the um, some leeway or some uh, common ground to sharing data among hospitals uh, hasn't been uh, discussed yet. Thank you. Thank you. And Mark, you've got something to add to that? Yeah, it's just um, I, I totally see your point, Sampath, about um, BI being kind of one of the last um, stakeholders invited to the party when we're looking at a, uh, a new system. But I think the onus has to be on us to market ourselves better in, in BI as well. Um, I, I think um, my experience of analysts generally is that they're happiest hiding behind a screen and, uh, and if they can avoid talking to people um, face to face quite often they will. Um, so communication is really the key to a lot of things and communication works both ways so that the programs that are procuring systems and that stuff do have a responsibility to uh, to talk to the kind of bi leads within the organization but we also need to get out there and and market ourselves better and and um raise the profile of um of what bi can bring to organization and and how we can improve not necessarily directly patient care, but we can indirectly improve patient care and the patient experience by providing good business intelligence in a timely kind of fashion. The more we can do that, the more we can get ourselves out there, the more we'll be at the forefront of those conversations and not an afterthought. Thank you, Mark. Has anyone got anything else to add before we move on to the next question? No? OK, so Deepa, we're going to go through your question now which was what can we do to improve data literacy in the organisation for a tangible outcome? Could you elaborate on that for us, please? Yeah, actually it quite um, nicely fits with the earlier question. Now, we introduce new systems, new tools, applications, um, and bring in more data. And, you know, uh, we, try, we are trying to enable more and more people use it. But I think that there's there needs to be um, a bigger program about the culture shift, you know, about improving the data literacy, uh, educating people about how to use it, how to. And I, I'm I'm saying this more from the organization perspective, not not the patient. So uh, how to read it, how to understand, how to make sense of the data we already have. So we we do have a lot of data. Uh, but I think the insights are poor because we are not able to um, use it. So that there's a lack of, um, you know, there needs to be more work around data literacy, educating people about how to use best, uh, make best use of the data, which is already there. Excellent. And Mark, you've got something to say. Yeah, and, and 
I guess I'm a bit uh, fortunate in that I, I've worked in the same organisation as Deepa, so I, I know all the hard work that she and her team have put into pushing the kind of data literacy agenda and all of the um, videos that they've put together and the work that they've put into into driving that kind of um, side of things. So you, you're doing the right things, Deepa, from in the first place. But um, I, I think the key for me is that we we move um, data and, and information away from what it's been in the past in terms of tables and really flat boring charts and graphs and things like that and we we make it exciting and comparable to the stuff that people will see elsewhere um, and that you have a consistency to, to everything that you do within the organization so if you're looking at something at board level versus looking at something at ward level or clinic level that the same markers and the same branding and the same graphical design is is all in in one place and that people will recognize the the the, the type of charts that they're looking at it's about kind of um, you just have to make sure you're consistent in in what you do at every stage and, and you think about it from an end user point of view so I, a million years ago, before I started in the NHS, I, I worked in um, in retail management and in sales for, for a number of times. And you, I think you come at things with a very customer focused point of view when you come from that background. And while we're not selling a product or, or whatever, we still have customers. They might be internal stakeholders and external stakeholders. And we need to look at what, what it is that they need and, and how they need to use something and, and what they're looking at doing. And, how the the output that we produce can make their life easier um, and make their job more effective um, so having that customer focus point of view will, will make it much easier to to increase data literacy within the organization you kind of we we might be the experts but it's it's on us to find a way of communicating our um, output effectively to um, our user base Thank you, Mark. And Ira, you were next. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's a really good question because it really sort of strikes at the sort of future, I think, of where the NHS is going and the capability that the, the workforce needs to be able to, to deliver that. Um, and obviously, you know, from from everyone that, that works in the NHS, it, you know, not necessarily everyone will, will need to be able to interpret um, data or use data, but I think there are probably a lot of roles where you can give people the opportunity to work with data, but they're not given. Um, and I think it's, you know, training is brilliant, but you need to give people really clear opportunities to be able to use that training. Um, and it is probably taking you know, some of the basic functions out of analysts or, or other roles and saying, OK, well, we're going to give you this and we're going to give you the training and we'll hold your hand. Um, but then, you know, we want you to produce some of your own charts. We want you to, to be the ones that produce some of the analysis. So I think, yeah, some of it is probably about spreading the responsibility because it, it can be really daunting when you're presented with a massive spreadsheet or charts. And if you're not, you know, I'm not naturally a data person. Um, and I can interpret it because I have to, but I, you know, I still get that that pit of the stomach anxiety when someone sends me a, a massive spreadsheet and I have to try and work it through. Thankfully, I worked in cancer waiting times for quite a long time, so I, you know, I've I've got to grips with it. Um, but 
yeah, I think I completely agree. It should be, you know, making it part of people's jobs um, and giving people more of an opportunity to use it and, and making it not just a sort of niche area that a specific type of person does. Thank you. Deepa, you've got something to add? Um, yeah, um, <clears throat> thanks Mark and Inara <clears throat> for your suggestions. And uh, what I've observed is, you know, that there are two aspects. One is, yeah, training so that there are there are people like analysts or even, you know, clinical nurses. So they are actually scared of, not analysts, but, you know, clinical people. They are actually scared of data. So like you said, in our, in our like, you know, if someone presents you a complicated spreadsheet and where do you start? How do you read? What, what sense do you make out of it? So over there, we can definitely do with some training and you know, hold their hands so that they are comfortable and make it more easier and easier for them to understand. Mm, uh, where we actually struggle is, um, you know, the, the the management or the top management. Um, so when I came, when I moved from the private organization, I thought, yeah, banking and insurance, they, they, they are the people who can understand data and, you know, who knows, and all the analysts are there. But when I moved to NHS, I found that clinicians are very, very data savvy. They they themselves are doing a lot of analysis. So they do understand um, uh, the data. They themselves try to use it. Where the gap is, is the operational and, you know, the management, the top management who are actually driving these, um, these strategies like digital strategy or, you know, those. So, that's where I find the gap and find it difficult to, to uh, you know, get this going about um, uh, data literacy. And it needs to start from the top to be able to drip down to, to the lower la layers. Um, and I, I think that's where we are struggling to make a you know, big leap or a big change. Thank you. Let's go to you, It's very interesting, Deepa, when you say the uh, uh, the clinicians are very interested and they are very um, uh, data savvy compared to the uh, senior managers. Uh, it it take me back to 1999 when I started um, uh, in NHS. Um, the uh, I can remember the the clinical engagement was very 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 poor and i can remember one meeting i went and one of the consultants was asking who decided to call patient attendance as, as episodes and spells right <laughs> and 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 that kind of environment but you are quite right um give it 15 years down the line uh, i find now um, this morning, I had a very pro very proactive conversation with our clinical directors that I that kind of uh, proactive conversation with sometimes general managers and operational directors because the clinicians have moved on the the new clinicians come come along. They are very uh, IT savvy. They they are very interested in technology. So when we try to do something, I always now try to get engaged clinical support rather than operational support. Start using them as champions, pioneers that would get 
um, so I can get things done easier. The other point I would like to make is, <clears throat> yes, we need to make data interested, and yes, we need to present well, and yes, it, it need to be uh, quite um, um, sassy that uh, would be nicely available. But I think there is a bridge that we need to, um, uh, there is a gap that we need to bridge because um, probably you may find as well, we, sometimes we always find uh, with information, it's uh, it's it's becoming like a us and them kind of uh, uh, scenarios. So I think in private sector, um, I, I strongly believe the, the the people work together and the the operational uh, people and the management would see this small office with uh, lots of tech tech guys as a an opportunity. They need to work together, sit down, and these are my problems. Let's try to work out, um, work something out. And so it's two ways. The, the technical, the information analyst, the PI analyst need to understand the operational challenges. Same time, the operational managers need to understand the technical limitations are. It's not about you send a request and then you say, okay, uh, uh, this is the data I was received by them. There is no communication at all. Request we made, and then the, 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 then then the results being sent. And um, so I think that's not the way. The so always I uh, kind of coaching my information analyst um, at the moment is you need to engage and don't fear if somebody asks a question. Don't fear to go and ask. What is the purpose of this? What are you going to do with this information? Uh, what would be the final outcome you would expect? Because again, you guys are coming from information backgrounds. You would see um, when we start building a report, only the people start engaging with us, right? So you do a perfect report, you think, because there was no communication, you sent it out, then the operational staff start thinking, oh, can I do this? Can I do that? So this, the, that management, that that kind of a agile change. Of course, we need to welcome changes um, to to any 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 projects, any product that we do, any reports we do. But if we have that engagement, um, enthusiastic engagement, to say, okay, this is this is the final outcome uh, outcome we expect. What are the limitations? This is what I'm trying to achieve, and work together. That would make. Uh, more and better outcome than just doing a report as such. Thank you. Does anyone got anything else to add? No. Um, so, Sampath, I'm going to come to you on your question. How could the cutting edge technology improve patient experience in the NHS? I know we kind of discussed apps and stuff before. Could you um, elaborate that on that a little bit more? Yeah, so um, I mean that is a very uh, broad topic. I mean the the cutting edge technology can be applied across the board, the clinical settings and the operational settings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what I am trying to elaborate here is um, because we are coming from the information professions that. Um, that things like uh, predictive analytics, machine learning, and uh, yeah, artificial intelligence. How can we use that kind of technology that is wide, becoming widely available 
into the um, organizations. So in, um, in at ENHT, um, for the last six months, we have taken a very ambitious project about uh, predicting um, um, uh, ED attendances and how long they would uh, stay and to streamline the 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 um, discharge processes because beds are more crucial to re release the pressure on ed and how uh, how how do we work with the um, expected discharge lines and the predicted uh, discharge times so we kind of build hybrid models using um, clinical input with the expect discharge times with when we um, go along with their diagnosis, comorbidities, and their age, all, all those uh, information put together, and we 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 came up with the uh, predicted discharge days, <clears throat> and also predicting the length of stay means that would help for the um, social care. So we can have given early warning to the uh, social care services, saying that there's a patient. Um, it's only three days, but our prediction says this patient is more likely to stay 14 days, 21 days. So um, this is this is the number of patients would come your way, so you can start early planning. So that kind of um, technology uh, is uh, I was talking about. Thank you, Mark. You've got your hand raised. Yeah, I I, I think you make a really good point. Um, and it's probably the, the predictive side of what we do is is going to be the growth uh, market over the next couple of years. The, it may look quite unpredictable and quite volatile when you look at uh, a hospital in terms of, of what's going to happen, but you can actually predict pretty closely the number of A&E attendances you're going to get on a Saturday in December versus a Tuesday in July. Um, barring um, major pandemics or um, or random weather patterns, you can get really close in terms of predicting not only the number of, of A&E arrivals that you're going to get, but what time of day people are going to turn up um, and what kind of um, attendees you're going to get. Um, so predicting what's going to come in through the front door is 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 not the most difficult thing. The more difficult thing in terms of managing flow is making sure that you get people out of the hospital um, in a timely fashion. Um, and the point that you touch on in terms of looking at predicted length of stay and predicted discharge date is something that when we're not brilliant at but need to get better at is understanding how long are the people that in our hospital in our hospital going to be there for when they've got such and such a condition or they've had such and such a procedure. Um, and then how can we start to think about cutting those lengths of stays down and getting the, the patients to the most appropriate location for them, whether that be home, whether that be some kind of step down bed um, in as timely a fashion as possible. So how can we improve the things that delay their discharge? So things like um, prescribing um, drugs for them on discharge. Um, quite often we'll lose half a day while we're waiting for, for drugs to be um, um given to the patient um making sure that your transport patient transport systems link up with your discharge team so that you've got a way for the person to get to their home or their um place of residence and that you're not waiting because you can lose you can lose a couple of hours waiting for a patient transport you can lose a couple of hours while you're waiting for the prescription 
suddenly you've lost half a day on that patient's length of stay. If that um, particular patient was only in for a, a two-day um, length of stay, you've, you've suddenly lost 25% of their um, length of stay wasted in, in, um, in things that don't need to happen. And that's where information can really help drill down if you know who's waiting for what and how long they've been waiting, et cetera, and, and who you need to allocate transport to and who you need to get drugs for, those kind of things in a timely fashion you can really improve the patient experience from that point of view. Um, so that's really important. Um, and then you, I can, in the kind of first um, sentence or two of your answer, you touched on other things because there, there are things like um, we could we could eliminate some scopes and things by, by having swallowable technology for, um, for cameras and things like that, that you can improve the patient experience with them not having to come into hospital at all. Home diagnostics are going to be a big growth, I would have thought, going forward. Wearable technology so that people don't need to come in and get their obs taken and, and things like that. So there are lots of ways in which um, digital and, and information can influence the patient experience without it necessarily having to be a direct kind of influence. Thank you, Mark. Inara? Um, yeah, so I suppose one of the, you know, predictive analytics, obviously, um, brilliant. The next step is, or the more cutting edge area will be um, AI um, and how we can use AI to, to, to do some of this or more complex AI. Now, I'm more familiar with AI in terms of clinical decision making, um, but there is also a whole host of controversies that are associated with that. Um, so I'd be, just as a follow-up, um, interested in the panel's view on, on um, AI and, I suppose, driving efficiencies um, within, within the hospital setting as the sort of the, the next cutting edge, if that makes sense. So, unless, unless Deepa want to go, uh, I'm happy to. Uh, yeah, please go ahead. Um, yeah. I have I have a positive story from Baths on that. <laughs> so 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 um, Nara, um, I think um, yes, there are um, certain controversies about uh, uh, using um, artificial intelligence, uh, uh, the the uh, NLP called uh, natural language processing, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But quite interestingly. Um, like I said, I had a very interesting conversation with our clinical directors this morning. We have our, our next stage of um, AI um, uh, tools that we are going to use is um, another ambitious project that we're going to uh, start a pilot project to, to um, uh, predict the uh, sepsis and the AKI, uh, that kind of early warning um, systems. But my original thought was like yes uh, the 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 patients no patients the the consultants would resist to that that that's ki kind of come across like um overruling their decision uh, clinical decision processes but no they they are very very interested um they think um yes this is the way forward and these kind of things are aiding because when they come to when they come to the hospital they have to do so many things um and sometimes that kind of little aid would help them to to, to streamline their their day-to-day their -day work processes so um 
yeah, there are always uh, pros and cons, but I think uh, there is a clinical engagement is already there, and the bigger hospitals like uh, UCLA, King's College, um, and um, uh, Great Ormond Strait, they have already started doing projects like that, and there's a huge clinical engagement uh, happening there. Thank you. Deepa, did you have something to say? There was a story. Yes, so um, at BOSS, we have recently launched electronic prescribing um, and medicine administration. So that means that, you know, at the time of discharges, um, it, it's much quicker. And along with the discharge summary, all the medication is there. Um, and also um, the medication which the patient is taking at home is all, all available when the patient is admitted. All that information is there. So. Uh, this is something recently launched, so we are hoping we will be able to use that data more effectively to cut down on the length of the stay and also more effective discharges um, of the patients. Um, and another positive story is uh, we are re rebuilding one of our hospital um, and uh, that's Webs Cross um, it's, it's still still to be finalized what it will look like. Uh, but um, it, it's about having a smart hospital, building a smart hospital with patients having, um, you know, uh, correct tagging. Uh, I can't say it will be a RFID tagging, but tags so that uh, the informa patient information is available well before the patient is admitted. Um, and um, all the other, you know, AI enablement uh, we discussed before. So we're just hoping that this will revolutionise uh, the patient care. Excellent, thank you. And Mark? Yeah, just a, a, a really quick one. I appreciate the, the kind of clinical risk to, to AI, etc. But the, I think you can also use it um, to predict and avoid admissions and things where possible as well. So you can use data to look at who the high risk um, cohort of patients might be who who might be in danger of, of ending up in admission and look at some kind of um, community interventions to prevent that. Um, so you can you can use um, AI in a preventative capacity as well as uh, as well as there being a kind of clinical risk side of it. Fantastic. And we're going to stay with you for your question as well. So your question was working good quality data and information help in driving the population health agenda. Could you elaborate on that for us all, please? I guess, I guess it kind of touches on my on my last point, really. It's, it's um, how can uh, we as kind of BI professionals in in different parts of the healthcare system produce some kind of joined up way of working that will improve the overall population health agenda. And um, Inara kind of touched on diabetes as a, as a kind of work stream earlier. It's quite a good example um, of the population health side of things. Um, if you can engage with, with diabetics early enough in their, um, in their journey and in their approach, you can um, avoid an awful lot of hospital resource and and um, and bed allocation etc nip it in the bud before um, it becomes an issue 
Um, that's particularly true of type 2 diabetics like myself. I mean, the type 1 diabetics are a little bit of a different story. Um, but it's about how we can join that, um, that conversation up um, across different types of NHS providers, really. Anara, what's your thoughts on that? I think it, I mean, it obviously, you know, it, it definitely makes a lot of sense. I think diabetes is a, is a really good um, example there. Um, I think that one of the ways... Oh, we've lost there. Oh, gosh. <laughs> You're just about to make an incredible point there as well. I know, just right at the very end as well. We got all that way. Hopefully she'll, uh, she'll join back in, but Sam, you've got your hand up, so should we just go see you? I think it is a, it is a very interesting topic and um, these days everybody's talking about uh, population health uh, agenda and, uh, oh, well, data and population health goes hand in hand. I mean, to me, I cannot uh, start thinking of population health without data. Um, so, uh, Coming from um, um, te technical background, I think the NHS itself has huge wealth of uh, data and along with social care services, ambulance service and councils, all those uh, data combined together that we will be able to proactively design um, in intervention of care packages for the right group of patients. So I know diabetics has been uh, discussed one time, um, but also respiratory diseases, heart diseases, stroke, etc, etc. So using that information, basically it will enable us to find local solutions for local problems. Um, I mean, at a couple of months ago in our in our department, they did a small exercise about life expectancy and chronic diseases. Um, there was a clear di direct correlation between life expectancy and chronic diseases based on where people live. And this is very, I mean, this is a very small example, but these are very powerful. So what we need is a finding a um, uh, um, uh, solutions for these vulnerable groups and the, the, these patient groups who would need um, patient-centric um, uh, approach, uh, approach. So to me, I see this as a, two stages. One is like looking uh, patients who are um, who need care and care packages, patient-centric packages right now, and also what can we do to prevent these things happen. So this is where I, I, I believe um, against the artificial intelligence can um, use it because there are techniques and tools that is available that we would able to predict um, patients' diagnosis based on their uh, uh, the the clinical history, um, the right to a certain accuracy their, their their diagnosis, and also with the growing populations, we. Um, uh, as NHS organization, we need to know what would be the demand in the future that uh, we need to cater. So along with this, this, these lines, if we can uh, look after um, uh, early enough um, uh, these patients within the community, and that would also uh, reduce the huge um, uh, capacity, um, enable the huge capacity for the hospital so they can 
um, look after their acute settings uh, and focus on their acute settings rather than uh, working with the 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 communal um, issues within the hospital hospital settings. Thank you, Anara. <laughs> you were really interested to hear what you were just about to say. We lost you. My team's just just froze. Um, so I'll be I'll be quick. I know we've only got a couple of minutes, but on the sort of population health approach, um, it it's so important to be able to segment your population. Um, and one of the programmes of work that we've recently launched is a digital inclusion piece of work where we'll be supporting um, trusts to basically spend the first half of the programme really delving into the data around their populations to understand where digital inclusion issues are for, for certain populations. Um, and then the second half of the programme is giving them the money to, to do something about it. Um, so, you know, I don't think you should underestimate the importance and especially going forward of taking a true population health approach. Um, I think it, it, it's the only way that you can deliver truly personalised healthcare. Thank you very much for that. Deepa? Yeah, I would like to say that, you know, 87% of the adult population in the UK have got smartphones. And the way the digital data has been used for other purposes like marketing or cognitive buying, all this, you know, uh, very little has been done to look at the public health demands or improving, um, you know, the health agendas, putting in health agendas to improve public health. So uh, there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of data which is collected. Uh, it's just about harnessing it correctly to, to improve it. Um, and it, it needs to be, you know, a joint up agenda from all the NHS sites uh, or NHS trusts, really. So uh, lot, yes, the technology can help, tools can help, but there's a lot which is already existing. And uh, people are already you know, you know, like patients, they are already using their personal data, which is we are just not harnessing it. We are just not using it. Thank you so much. Has anyone got anything else to add before we wrap up? No? Well, thank you all so much for joining me this evening. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you all have to and see the value in it all. Thank you so much. Has anyone got anything else to add before we wrap up? No? Well, thank you all so much for joining me this evening. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you all have to and see the value in it all.